Well, good morning again. It's good to see everyone. This morning we're continuing our series through the book of Habakkuk. Uh, in the past few weeks, we've uh, been reminded of several things from this book. Um, first of all, God is at work in a dark world. And he's at work in ways that uh, if we were to uh, create a God of our, of our own understanding, uninformed by the scriptures, we would be put off by it, many of us. Uh, God is doing things that uh, often startle us. Uh, sometimes he uses situations and other people in uh, ways that can seem strange. So we're, we're continuing this morning in the, uh, the answer that God gives Habakkuk when Habakkuk is wondering, how can God use this evil nation, the nation of Babylon, to judge his own people? And more pertinent for this morning's message, is Babylon, this evil, unjust nation, going to continue in their march of destruction across the whole, world, whole earth? Is God going to do something about it? And last week, God began to answer that question, and, and God is going to continue answering Habakkuk's question this morning. Uh, this is, in some ways, a difficult passage for most of us to hear, uh, and there are a few reasons for that. Uh, one, uh, most of us in this room have not known what it is to be a collectively oppressed people group or nation uh, by God's uh, sovereign decree and uh, the privilege we have as Americans, most of us don't know what that's like in a collective way. And so it's important to remember that the original audience for this text was an oppressed people group uh, who had their security and everything that they held dear in many ways stripped away. And so before I read the scripture, I would ask you to try to put yourself in the place of this group of people. Imagine all that you love, your security, your finances, your home, is all at the mercy of a conquering enemy, and you are powerless to do anything about it. And then imagine how these words of God, which can be hard words to hear how that would have come across to this group of men and women. And so I would ask you, if you're able to please stand for the reading of God's word, I will actually begin reading in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, to the end of chapter 2. So there will be some overlap from last week. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul, that is Babylon's, is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. 
Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man in violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father God, we have just read a hard text, but we believe, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, for teaching, for training in righteousness, that we may be equipped for every good work. Father, this morning, as we talk about difficult topics Lord, as we are confronted with warnings, we pray that we would still keep in mind the hope, the hope of the gospel, the hope of your forgiveness. Lord, I pray if there are any here who perhaps have not bowed to the Lord in whose presence all the earth must keep silence, I pray, Lord, that you would grab hold of them this morning. 
I pray for those who are not in this room, but those who we love, who we long to see, who we long for them to know Christ, that you would seek them out. Lord, that you would show them there is no Lord, there is no other God but you. We pray, Lord, that we might witness to them in love and boldness. And that we may take what we have, what we receive here, and share it with them. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Our culture loves a good revenge story. We love, many of us love a good get back story. Uh, we think of literature, think of the Count of Monte Cristo, right? This, this, uh, this man who uh, has everything taken from him, his, the love of his life, his, his wealth, his home, his, uh, his freedom, he's thrown in prison, and then he, he finds a way to get out and, and, and take revenge uh, on the man who did this to him. There's something satisfying about that. Uh, or we think of the movie Taken, right, with, uh, with Liam Neeson. If you're not familiar, it's about this, this dad whose, whose daughter goes to, to Europe and, and she's kidnapped by these human traffickers, right? And, you know, he has a certain set of skills that he's going to use to bear uh, against these, these men who have taken his, his daughter captive. You know, there's something really satisfying about that, about a good revenge story. And, you know, while as Christians we don't, encourage or approve of revenge, uh, there is something in that desire for revenge, uh, a, a truth behind that, that people long for justice. We long for injustice to be corrected. And this text that we look at is an answer to that question, right? That Habakkuk is asking, Lord, will the injustice of Babylon go on forever? Remember, he asked earlier in chapter 1, verse 17, is Babylon then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And God, in this text, graciously is going to answer that question in the negative. No, Babylon's injustice will not continue forever. In fact, thinking of it from a global standpoint, all injustice will be corrected. And that is the big idea uh, we have, I have for you to take home with you this week, is that God will correct injustice. He will correct injustice. We see in this text that there are five woes. Uh, woe, by the way, is, is a way of saying to whoever's, whoever the woe is directed at, you are in so much trouble, I almost feel sorry for you. You are in trouble. And so this is serious. And think, a bit, think again about what I said earlier. If you were an oppressed nation who had your power stripped from you, how that would turn the tables on this nation who thinks it's so much more powerful than you. You see, when you, when you mess with the ones whom God has set his love on, he is going to show up. And he is going to protect his people, his anointed. God will correct injustice. Now I'm going to say something. I don't want you to panic. I have five points this morning. But don't worry, because there's more, they'll be a little shorter. So, 
Uh, I'm not going to list them out for you right now because I think you might have a hard time remembering them. I'll, I'll name them as I go on this morning. And again, just a disclaimer, we're going to be talking about some hard things this morning. And it's not because I'm a glutton for punishment and I'm trying to make anyone feel bad here, but it's because God talks about some hard things this morning. E- each of these woes for us has a warning as well as hope. Each of these woes has warning, and yet there is still hope for those who trust in this God we're going to talk about this morning. First of all, God will correct injustice, number one, by calling in bad debt. By calling in bad debt. This is from verse 6, when God says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Let me put it to you like this. Babylon, in some ways, was like a mafia of the ancient world. What, what nations like Babylon did is that they would conquer a nation and say, well, now that we've conquered you, we're, we're here to actually protect you. And in order for you to receive our protection, you have to give us things. You have to pay us tribute uh, so that we will uh, defend you with our armies, so that we will give you just laws that will help your nation. So in the same way that a mafia will sometimes come to a business and say, hey, you know, we're here to protect you, so you need to give us, give us some of your profit. This is what Babylon was doing to nations around them. It would tell nations, you are actually in debt to us for all the good things that we're giving you. Our army, our, our, our laws, our, our, our king, our great king. You're in the winning team. And what God says here is actually it's the opposite. You have put yourself in debt to all these other nations that you took from, that you stole from. And now it's time to pay the piper. Justice will be done Injustice will be corrected. And for all of us here, as we turn to our own situation, there is a warning and there is hope. Apart from the the obvious that crime doesn't pay, that eventually your sins will find you out, uh, I want to challenge for those of you who may be here and and you're not sure whether you believe what we're talking about this morning, Do you realize that you're on borrowed time? You are on borrowed time. Brothers and sisters, the only reason, maybe not the only reason, but the main reason that the world still exists in its present state is because God's kindness, in God's kindness, he's calling people to repent, to believe the gospel of his son. This is borrowed time, but it will not continue forever. And so I'd ask you, Do you know that you're on borrowed time if you have not trusted this Savior? Don't wait until a better time to trust in Jesus. Now let me say this now to to those of us who are believers, those who have loved Jesus for a long time. Do we see here in God's concern for justice, a desire for justice in our own hearts? When the world looks at us, are we a people who are concerned with those who have been stolen from, for those who are oppressed, for the unborn, but also for single mothers, for the poor, for racial and ethnic minorities? We ought to be a people who are as concerned 
Well, that's impossible. We are to be a people who are concerned for justice and loving those who are the most vulnerable in our society. That's not a modern idea. That's not something that came out of someone's own head in the last 20 years. That is the desire of our Lord. And of course, only God can produce perfect justice. But are we a people who long to see that? Now, other people, they're going to disagree with us. We're not looking for the approval of the world. But when people look at our churches, do they see a concern for the vulnerable, for those who have been stolen from? Because it still happens today. We have not outgrown this problem. There's hope, though. There is hope for us. There's hope, of course, for victims of theft. I don't know if they're, uh, what that might look like for, for some of you who have uh, been stolen from. I just... Uh, we just heard this weekend that one of the members of our church had his car stolen. Um, God sees. God knows about it. He is not ignorant of the theft that happens to people, as we see here. But also, remember this, and I'm going to continue to keep coming back to this. Remember the gospel of Jesus. Because in all of these warnings, we see how God has taken the penalty of our Babylonian tendencies and he has addressed them. We read in Colossians chapter 2 that the record of debt that we owed to God has been nailed to the cross. And so that is our hope for those of us who uh, sometimes forget that we have been in debt to God, that God has paid our debt on the cross. God will correct injustice. So first of all, by calling in bad debt, but number two, by calling out false security. By calling out false security. This is from uh, verse 9. He says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. In other words, uh, Another way to think about this is Babylon believed it could fly high enough uh, above the clouds of adversity and misfortune. It believed it could, it could soar above uh, the storms of life uh, in a way that a plane tries to get over a storm. Uh, that's a false hope that Babylon had. It says in verse 8 that even... That even the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Most likely God is alluding to the fact that when Babylon would steal these materials from other nations, it would build these lavish palaces, these throne rooms. And God is saying, even those building materials are going to cry out in witness against your oppression. There is a false security that you are trusting in. God will correct injustice by calling out false security. Again, for us, there is a warning and there is hope. Jesus says in the gospel, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And we remember perhaps most famously the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, this man who believed that he was going to live forever at some level. He, he wanted to build bigger barns because he thought that would be his security. And of course, God says to him in that parable, fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. 
I love this quote that I came across this week from, from Augustine, the great church father. He says of this rich fool, he was planning to sate his soul with excessive and unnecessary feasting and proudly disregarding all those empty bellies of the poor. And I love this. He didn't realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. See, we have no safe bank or safe deposit box in this world. Where are you putting your trust? Where are you investing? Are you trusting in a security that will not outlast this world? And let me ask you this, just as a, a question to throw out there. Is fear of losing material prosperity your primary or sole factor in your decision-making? And that can be hard sometimes to know. Does that affect primarily how you vote or where you invest? We need to be conscious of these things. Fear of losing wealth is such a powerful force in our society. Is that, is what, is that is what driving you and me to make our decisions? We have to ask ourselves that. But of course, brothers and sisters, there is hope. Jesus doesn't only stop. He, he goes on and says, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. There is an investment in this world that is safe and secure, and that is investing in the kingdom of God. It's spending our resources, our time, our money on behalf of others. I love what Proverbs 18, 11 says, a rich man's wealth is his strong tower in his imagination. But the author of Proverbs goes on and says, God is really our strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Do we see that God is our strong tower whom we can invest in and be safe? God will correct injustice. He will correct injustice by calling in bad debt, by calling out false security. Now, number three, by calling out unjust labor. Calling out unjust labor. In verse 12, God says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. What, what God is saying here is blood and iniquity are really bad building materials. They're really bad building materials. What he's most likely indicating here is also what these nations like Babylon would do. They would conscript labor from these conquered nations uh, and take them, steal them from their homeland in order to build these lavish palaces, maybe to serve in their army. And God is saying that will not last forever. He says what will last forever is knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And what he's getting at there is that you think that you can take people and unjustly treat them and build these lavish palaces and build these cities, but that's not going to last forever. There's only one glory that will last forever, and that is the glory of the Lord. And that knowledge will be everywhere. We are to labor for a glory that lasts forever. God will correct injustice by calling out unjust labor. 
for us, brothers and sisters, there is warning and there is hope. The first thing I'll say as a warning is that we are to harbor no illusions about the purity of any nation's founding, including our own. I grew up uh, as a young man who was looking for powerful stories to grab onto. And one of the stories that I gravitated to as a young man is that somehow the United States uh, was this very unique nation in world history uh, that could not fail because God had somehow specially blessed it uh, in a way that the nation of Israel perhaps had been blessed. Uh, and as I, as I grew up, as I continued to learn, I, I learned about some dark things in our nation's history. Uh, there are many good things and wonderful things to celebrate about our nation, our laws, the ways that we govern. Uh, I'm not saying that there is nothing to celebrate. There's much to celebrate in our nation's history as we look back. But brothers and sisters, we have in our history some bad building materials. Just the basic fact that if we look back in history, many of our cities were literally built by slaves, by captured and enslaved Africans. Or thinking about how much of our economy before the Civil War was based on the unpaid labor of slaves. And that is going to have an effect in the health of our nation. We can't buy into the idea that because we are the United States that we somehow are immune uh, to even some of the woe that God is talking about here. I'm not saying that our nation is the same as Babylon or, or is as cruel. All nations to some degree have injustice in its founding and, and we have to look at our own nation with clear eyes. None other than the great statesman Abraham Lincoln uh, was able to see how present suffering could be the result of past injustice. I'm going to read a short passage, a well-known passage from Lincoln's second inaugural address uh, that he gave a few weeks actually before he was murdered. And just as a side note, I can't imagine any president from either party saying something like this. Lincoln said, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen's, the slaves, 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And he's quoting scripture there. In other words, what he's saying is that you cannot escape injustice in the past. And, and what we have been learning, perhaps in the past few years, is that for those of us in the majority culture, the majority white culture, there is a strong temptation in my own heart as well to avoid the sins of our nation's past. But our hope is not to do that. Our hope is not to deny or to redirect when it comes to our nation's history. The solution, like everything else, is to take our shame and our guilt and lay it at the foot of the cross. God is able to handle the sins of our past. 
That is our hope. God is able to help us in that grace, in that knowledge, to be agents of reconciliation and justice in the world and to embody that in the life of the church. And there's another reason for hope. There is a labor that will last forever. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, we have a call to work, and it is a work that will not be burned up by fire that the Lord talks about here, but it is a work that in Christ will last forever. All the labor that you are doing for the kingdom of God will be redeemed by the Lord Jesus. Let's labor for the glory of the Lord that will, that will last forever. Number four, God will correct injustice. We're continuing talking about hard things. By calling out abuse. By calling out abuse. And you might be wondering where I'm getting that from the text. In verse 15, God says this, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink in order to gaze at their nakedness. Remember last week, we talked about wine as a metaphor. And God is using wine as a metaphor. He's continuing to use that image to describe most likely uh, the wrath that Babylon wreaked on these other nations. And this reference to nakedness is most likely a reference to the sexual violence that conquering nations would inflict on these other nations. This has been a part of war since the beginning. It's still a part of war now. That nations will often rape and pillage and belittle and use the men and women it conquers. There's even a reference uh, to Lebanon and how uh, a reference to how the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. And he talks about the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. He's possibly talking about how when conquering Lebanon, this, this rich, beautiful forest, uh, in hauling those materials away to Babylon, uh, beasts of burden were abused and, and worked to death. God will correct injustice by calling out abuse. There is a warning for us and there is hope. One of the things that the church really around our country is reckoning with is that there has been a lot of abuse uh, of all kinds, spiritual, sexual, physical abuse in many of even our Christian circles. And we are being reminded through this that the church must take abuse very seriously. We cannot fail to act on it. And just a, a short definition of abuse is the misuse of power by someone in authority over someone under their authority. We don't have to look very far in the past to see how uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is reckoning with the abuse in many of the churches. But brethren and sisters, we are not immune to this temptation and this struggle. In the PCA, there was a, a recent study committee on abuse in the church, and there was a, a very thorough report that was released, and uh, it's one of those things that we have to study or um, we have to study to learn how 
to better protect uh, our institutions from the temptation to abuse, which never goes away. And especially we as pastors and elders need to be held account uh, by our people and by our denomination to take abuse incredibly seriously. So that is a warning for us that, again, we all have Babylonian tendencies in our own heart. And there is hope. Um, I recognize that uh, when I am speaking of survivors of abuse, uh, I'm treading on ground that can be fraught uh, with trauma, uh, with heartache. I don't know what that is to experience that. But I will say this to, to those of you who are perhaps survivors of abuse, God knows. God is furious about it, and it will not go unaddressed in one way or another. And again, we have hope because the cross of Christ is able to cover over a multitude of sins. And I'll give that with an important disclaimer. Of course, grace is never a license for sin, including abuse. And furthermore, abuse is illegal. Uh, it needs to be punished uh, not only by God, but, by, but through the legal system. And so we, we have hope for even those of us uh, who see this tendency in our own heart to misuse power, to abuse. And lastly, God will correct injustice by calling out the uselessness of idols. The uselessness of idols. He asked this question in verse 18, what profit is an idol? And especially he's getting at here the ridiculousness of idols. You know, what came to mind when I saw this passage is, um, for those of you who've seen the movie Castaway, and you have uh, Tom Hanks makes, Tom Hanks gets uh, castawayed on, on a desert island. He has seemingly no chance of being rescued. And he's the only person on this island. And so in his, in his desperation, uh, he takes a volleyball, and many of you know, names it Wilson. And that is his companion for however many years he's on this island. And if you've ever seen those scenes where he's talking to this volleyball, it's this strange mixture of, of it's, this is hilarious, um, but you also have compassion for Tom Hanks because, you know, it makes sense. You know, he's going to, he really wants to have a relationship with something. But it's a volleyball. Um, and in some ways, we get to some of the ridiculousness of idolatry in this passage that he's saying, mankind, you, you Babylonians who worship these gods, you have made this thing out of gold or wood, and you're talking to it, and you're saying, help me, arise. And God is saying, don't you see the, the ridiculousness of idolatry? And yet, of course, even as we laugh at idolatry, do we not see, again, the temptation in our own hearts to worship our own creations? We all have that temptation. And some of you may be wondering, how, how, is, how is idolatry connected to injustice? Uh, I, I didn't think about that for a long time, but there is a connection between idolatry and injustice. Uh, one of the things that we forget is that these idols, these gods that the nations worship, they had a story attached to them. 
And it was these stories about what kind of God this was that often drove these nations to excuse their own oppression of others. If you believe that your national God is the best God, then it makes sense that you're going to conquer these other nations and excuse yourself by saying, well, this makes our God better. If we're winning, that means our God is best. And so having that idol actually drove a lot of the injustice of the past. And think about this as we turn to to the warning that this offers for us. If you are idolizing something of your own creation, perhaps it's a perhaps it's a business, or or perhaps, you know, for, for those of us in ministry, perhaps a church plant. Or, or a particular uh, ministry that we want to see flourish, if we make that our God, it's going to drive us to do many of the things that we've been condemning in this passage, stealing from others, because we, we need to do whatever it takes to make this thing survive, uh, abusing others. If someone's, uh, if someone's abuse threatens somehow this God of my, of my creation, I'm, I'm going to want to silence them somehow. There, there is a strong temptation to worship the creations of our own heart, even good things, even godly things. Now, this is something we have to be very careful about in our own hearts. And let me ask you this question. What... what what God do we actually worship? And let me tell you what I mean by that. Do we worship a God that fits into our own understanding? Or do we worship, do we truly worship the God of the scriptures? Because this is something Habakkuk is showing us time and time again, is that this God is not like us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so this is one of the great struggles of the Christian life, is that we are constantly taking what we think about God and struggling to submit that to the scriptures. That God is in control, and yet God is not the author of sin. That this God loves us so much that he gave his only son because he is so angry at sin. This is something I struggle with often is sometimes how angry God gets at sin and wanting to correct injustice. Not because God is a problem, but because I have not come to really submit my own heart and my mind to the God of the scriptures. And so we have to ask that question, what, what kind of God am I really serving? Am I serving a God of my own mind? Brothers and sisters, there is hope for Habakkuk, our older brother in the faith, and there is hope for us because next week, God is going to show up. God is going to show up and he is promising to deliver his people, to deliver his anointed people. That is good news for all of you who cry out and ask for rescue from this God. Because one day, the Savior who died and was raised and ascended into heaven, he is going to show up. He's going to come back and correct all the injustices that you have experienced. 
He is going to make this world a place of perfect peace and justice. But again, for, for those of you who perhaps are still wrestling with, do I, do I believe in this Savior? Have I really come to know Jesus? I would ask you to not wait because God is going to show up. He will return. And I, I long for you to see him as a Savior and not only as judge. Let's pray and ask that he would show us these things. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we have talked about some hard things this morning. I do pray, Lord, for your spirit to purify my speech, that anything that is not of your word you would lay by the wayside, and that you would use this scripture to gently confront us with the ways that Perhaps we have ignored who you actually are and what you care about. I pray, Lord, that we would go in the hope of the gospel, that we have a Savior who is even able to love Babylonians. Lord, who is even able to love those of us who have those tendencies in our own hearts. We pray that we would know how costly your grace is, and that we would take comfort in it. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.